and welcome to the Mary Immaculate College podcast, which is a collection of conversations about the interesting things that happen in and around Mary Immaculate College. This is our inaugural pod. Um, it's a special edition for many reasons, but the main reason is its topic to mark the 125th anniversary of the foundation of the college. And we've assembled a panel of MIC's um, community past and present and future to talk about Mary Immaculate College's 125 year legacy. I'm Gary O'Brien, I'm the Vice President of Governance and Strategy um, here at the college, and I'm joined by... I'm Deirdre Flynn, I'm a lecturer in 21st century literature here in Mary I. I'm Mara Cronin, I was a lecturer here for a very long time, retired now about five years. History was my thing. I'm Killing Callan, I'm the President of Mary I Students' Union. Thanks, folks. Delighted you could um, join us um, for this. It's great to have all of you here. So history really is kind of the, the recurring theme in what we're going to talk about today. Um, we have, a, 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 I suppose, a 125 year span to talk about um, in, uh, in the time we have together. But there are a number of really interesting themes within that 125 year time. And I suppose the thing that we might just start off with is the um, the way in which the college was founded. Um, there was a context to it. Um, there was um, a, a view on the part of the Bishop of Limerick um, at the end of the 19th century that um, the uh, national teaching system in Ireland was not served um, by the absence of a Catholic teacher training college outside of Dublin. So, um, in fact, he wrote a letter to the education authorities. This is Bishop Edward T. O'Dwyer um, saying, gentlemen, I beg to apply for a license for a training college for female national school teachers for the Catholic religion, which I propose to establish in this city. I believe that the College of Our Lady of Mercy Dublin is not equal to the supply of our needs. And on the other hand, this city, which is the centre of railway lines running into counties of Clare, Tipperary, Kerry, Cork and Waterford, is well situated for the purpose. Should you sanction this proposal, inform me as to the steps for obtaining a building loan for the college. So that was the beginning. That was part of the beginning of the, the, the college. And um, you could say that Bishop O'Dwyer was um, exercising strategic wisdom, which is a very modern idea in the 21st century by by putting it in that um, way. What emerged was a college also with um, an ethos of social justice, which emerged from the Sisters of Mercy, who were the founding community for the college. And uh, Catherine Macaulay had established the Sisters of Mer Mercy in the middle of the um, 19th century with a very modern vision also. And that is not only that um, education is the means to quality of life, but the quality of life vision that she had should be directed at the most disadvantaged in society. And um, when members of her um, congregation came to Limerick, the first place that they went to were the poorest places of the city. So very modern ideas, I think, in the um, in the setting up of the college. That notion of social justice, folks, what does it mean to you in terms of Mary Immaculate College? Well, I think it means exactly what Catherine Macaulay wanted it to mean is to getting out there where the need is. Um, I, I would imagine, I could be wrong with this, that it became, I won't say less prominent as time went on, but I think like all systems, the college 
became established as part of the system. Um, people were very much aware of it, you know, whether they were in the admin or teaching or students. But I think it probably took 50 or 60 years for an awareness that the, the student body was coming from a fairly secure middle class, upper class background to actually penetrate. And and I have a feeling, again, I'm not really sure of this, it's only an impression, but I have a feeling that it's probably about the 1990s that the student cohort becomes less predictable in class terms. Now, I couldn't analyse that to save my life, but... Um, and of course, part of the thing that happened, which has very little to do with the teaching mission of the college or of the primary teaching mission of the college, is that once the BA opened up in the 90s and one had mature students and students from so-called non-traditional backgrounds coming in, that I think a window was opened that had been allowed to kind of flap shut over the decades. I agree. I think... Um the college, the Catherine Macaulay's mission in making education open to all is really important. And education is a key driver of economic success. People who have graduate degrees are 21%, earn 21% more than people who do not. And if you go at an MA or postgraduate, that goes up again. And I think that's essential. But what you mentioned, Maura, is the 90s when the idea of free education came in. Like that was essential for me to go to college. Uh, it was the opportunity to have free education, to, you know, to bring down fees. Um, there was student grants. All of those things are essential. And even more so now, because there is, you know, fees coming back in. I'm sure Killian can talk to us about the campaigns there is for that, because money is one of the biggest drivers of social inequality and access to education and you know student accommodation now there's crises with with accommodation and trying to get to college and trying to do those things and I thought it was really interesting in the letter that the bishop had he was thinking about the public transport links to the college as well and how essential those are to because that offers education you know access to education as well and I think that's really really important and I think the introduction of the free fees or the abolition of tuition fees was really important to bring out and to really relive and, and, and to bring to fruition what Catherine McCauley does. But it's really important that that continues. And it's I think it's great now that we do have a student union on campus and a really active students union that we can keep pushing for that access to education. Because if we want it to be, you know, if you read, I think it's Farouk and Murakami said, but if you read the same books as everybody else, you don't think the same things as everybody else. So the more diverse our campus is, is, the better it is for everybody. Killian, one of the things that uh, a college like ours can do and should do, it has a multiplier effect because we're educating, we're educating people to enter the labor force um, in a modern, pluralistic, diverse society. Um, but many of our graduates actually go into uh, education teaching children. Um, so we have to look at ourselves, as Maura said, and say, are we diverse enough to reflect the diversity that's in society? And are we diverse enough to make sure that our graduates go out and are prepared to teach the young children of 2024? Any views on that from your perspective as a student? Um, I suppose in, that, in regards to that, diversity in that regard is always important because particularly the more diverse our students are becoming, they, people tend to look up to role models that reflect them in some way. So, I mean, if we have a lot of teachers who are all kind of coming from the same block, you know, I know that can have an effect on when we have such a diverse community now across the country. Uh, but I mean, probably just need to be said as well that like we're probably the most diverse we've ever been right now in Mary I, 
I mean, obviously there needs to be more steps further improve that, but I'm definitely on the right track, I would suggest. I, I think it kind of in some ways reflects the way in which the college has been punctuated by change within itself, but also um, as a place within a place. Ireland was changing um, over the course of the 20th century in huge ways, but in kind of 20, 25 year time periods. One of the biggest changes that happened, of course, in the 1970s for Mary Magdalene College was the fact that it was no longer an all female college. Men came to be educated here for the, the first time um, and moving on to from the late 70s and in, into the 1980s more that's when you came to the college first very different place then than today it was actually I came in 79 and um, I came from a combination of, of university UCC and Leicester and you know I'd been out working and um, it, it was very different to what I was used to but not in a bad way um, let me make it brief. The, the thing that struck me, which has nothing to do with the gender breakdown at all, was actually the number of holy pictures and statues. <laughs> and it was kind of like the, the primary school I went to. No, really, it didn't impinge on anything. Yeah. And I will say, and I really push this, though, I, you know, I may not know, but everyone mightn't agree with me, is I never found it oppressively religious, yeah. ever. You know, I, I, it, it, not a question about that. Um, the the male-female breakdown didn't even strike me, to be quite honest with you. Um, the class the classes were mixed, and I, I don't know if it varied from subject to subject, but in history, I'd say we probably had, I don't know, about a third guys, two-thirds women. Um, yeah, the guys would sit together, but that's, you know, that's, they were talking about something else. It was a very good dynamic um, and actually, what I will say is that these students, you know, they were the students who had come into the college maybe in about 1976, 77. Um, they were very questioning. Um, and I think if you were younger, which I was at the time, they were probably more open than if you were an older staff member. But they were very questioning. And I remember I, I went for a while elsewhere for three years. And I remember thinking, oh, my goodness, you know, there'll be far more questioning and um, assertions. Not at all. They weren't, you know, actually, students everywhere were either equally questioning or unso, unquestioning. Um, I didn't find it oppressive. Uh, I found it extremely friendly. And that was the one thing that was good about a small place is that we went into the staff room and we sat with anyone, you know. Now, grant you, it was a segregated staff room in that the admin staff and the catering staff and that they ate elsewhere. Now, that finished, I think, in the 90s, thankfully. But in terms of within the teaching staff, you could sit anywhere. There was a great exchange. And I'll tell you the good thing, and I mean this is a good thing, it wasn't all academic conversation. People weren't showing off how much they knew. You just talked about whatever. Um, so in that way, it was a, an easy transition. Um, other ways, I'm sure it was a very, uh, maybe one other point I'd make is that somewhere back in, maybe it was 1998 or so, we had an oral history project uh, interviewing past students. Uh, it didn't work very well. And uh, I'll tell you why, because People who liked the place weren't going to say anything critical about it. They felt too loyal. People who hated the place weren't going to say too much about it either because they felt it wouldn't be fair. But the interesting thing about time gaps is that anyone who was in the college up to the 1950s, they thought it was fine. Anyone who was in the college in the 60s hated it. 
anyone who was in the college from the 70s on was fine. So you could see that kind of a mentality change in the 60s where people thought this was like a boarding school. We hated it. It was awful. Anyone before was used to that. Mm. Anyone after it, they didn't experience it. So it was a very interesting kind of a, a, a time gap there. Yeah. yeah. yeah talk too long but you know actually, actually i want to stick with you for a moment if you if you don't yeah. mind i want to come to dearer then after that because moving into the 90s um there was another juncture which was important and 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 one that was very familiar to you as a lecturer in the humanities but as a member of staff in the in what was a college of education exclusively you were an education faculty lecturer mm. And in the early 1990s, for the first time, we opened a new faculty. We started teaching the liberal arts, and that is your metier. Um, but this changed hugely the nature of the college and the nature of the student populace, um, the growth of the college. All everything really changed at that time. Was that a very exciting time for you as a as a humanities specialist? It was, yeah. Um, it was because you had this influx of new students with a different focus. Um, socially, I think a lot of them were different as well, although I couldn't really say. Um, what was interesting, and of course this could be in the mind rather than in reality, is that we, the we, the we in the humanities always felt that we were kind of second fiddle in what the college saw itself as. So that, as I say, it's my view, it's not necessarily truth, is that we always felt that we struggled to actually say, you know what, we're an arts college as well as an education one. Um, and, and that would have riled us quite a lot. Uh, you know, I think I, I, I'm fairly truthful in that. Um, but it was very exciting. Um, as I say, different student cohort, uh, more concentration on and more courses available. You know, so now you could go back. This was the exciting thing and teach what your specialism was. So apart from teaching, you know, the French Revolution or whatever, in a very general way, you now could go back and teach the thing that you really loved. And you were able to feed that, I think, towards your group and they could take it or leave it, but they could choose as well and they could opt for or against what you were uh, working on. Um, so it was very exciting. In one way, there was a big break. We were used to being with UCC. That was our kind of um, accrediting, accrediting body. And then we were with UL. Um, that was a tense enough relationship. I, I mean, I wouldn't know because I never got involved in admin. I avoided it like the plague. Um, but there was a break there. We'd been used to UCC and now we were in a new group. But then finally, one of the exciting things for us anyway in history was that we now had an MA in conjunction with UL uh, in local history. But we also could actually have our own postgrad, um, which we never could have before and which, you know, we really wanted. So, yeah. By the time you came to the college as a student, first of all, um, arguably, we were established then as a humanities college as well as a college of education. In fact, Mary, I was the first college of education to offer a humanities degree. And as Maura said, we had postgraduate um, flourishing of the postgraduate scene in the 90s. And we had our first PhD, which was a humanities PhD, actually, in 2003. And now we have a thriving PhD um, throughput every year. Um, did it feel like a humanities institution to you as somebody who wanted to come and study the liberal arts when you came as a student? Well, 
I ended up actually in Mary Eye by accident because I filled out my CAO form wrong. Um, so I, I had my accommodation sorted in Dublin and then I realised I was going to Limerick. But I like I came from I come from very rural Ireland. So there was like five people in my class in primary school and I went to pretty small secondary school. Um, so it probably suited me. But it, it, and it's interesting because I've thought in other universities where there's 20 and 30,000 students and students would say to me they they felt really lost. They felt really, you know, a number in a massive institution and they don't get that here. Um, and immediately when I came in, you felt part of it. And I knew nobody. I had no friends that came here. And like I immediately fell in with a crowd. Um, I was involved with Midas at the time and we had... Andrew Flynn came down and directed plays and Andrew Flynn's went landmark now. So we did like Portia Coughlin and, you know, there, it was it was really lively. I worked on the radio station here in Wired and, um, you know, there was so much stuff going on the on SOS newspaper and we would write little articles for it. So it was really lively. Um, and I think there was a real sense of kind of enthusiasm for it because it was small and you knew everybody too. So if you caught, thought to yourself, God, I'd love to be in the radio. Well, you'd know Emer O'Mahony who now works in RTE. You'd say to her, Can, you know, how do I get in there? Or... Um, or you wanted to be involved in the drama, you'd ask somebody, you know, where's Andrew Flynn? Can I audition for that play? And it was really easy to get around. And I think as well, what I liked about it when I came was that we were in the city centre. Um, and I loved that, like, because, like I say, I grew up in very rural Ireland. The closest thing to me was a bog and some sheep. So <laughs> to be able to get up at any time and walk to the 24 hour shop on the dock road <laughs> blew my mind. So it was amazing to me to have that kind of around me all the time. So I, I, I found it really lively. I thought it was there was a real enthusiasm. Again, it was like, you know, they, that time of free education, you were coming into the Celtic Tiger years, there was money, there was jobs to be got, you know, so things were were really positive. And it was it was nice because people weren't saying to me we were doing an arts degree and there was always the jokes about um you know, it'll be like, you know, do you want fries with that was kind of always the thing. But it was still like it was still this joy of going to college to learn a subject. And it wasn't that I was doing, you know, a job. So like that I was going to be a teacher or that I was going to be like my sister, an engineer or whatever it was. I had this freedom that I was doing, which was brilliant because then you could be anything. You know what I mean? I think with an arts degree, you can be anything. I always tell my students that the head of YouTube has a BA in English. Um, and I think that's really important because of the skills that come out from a BA, your critical thinking skills and, um, you know, just all of those kind of, uh, and then that love for knowledge, I think, is part of it. But I, it was a great time. It was really positive. But it was, you know, coming into the Celtic, the best of the Celtic Tiger years. So things were great, you know, so I can't complain. But it was, it was very lively arts yeah. college at the time. Yeah. That's really interesting, Deirdre, and it, it does hark back to those heady days. Mm. Um, it's been a lot of change in global society and in Ireland since then. Killian, uh, not to mark you out as the youngest person <laughs> here, you're very experienced as a, uh, a person. You've you've actually worked in the outside world and you've come back to Mary I to be president of the Students' Union. Um, but you've been relatively recently a student here and not to label you as Gen Z, but <laughs> these are tough times for young people and um, they're tough times for students in university and our own students. COVID was a very difficult time. Um, that took away a lot of the engagement opportunities that Deirdre spoke about. So a very different student experience. You are really active now in trying to shake that up again as president of the Students' Union. But uh, from your perspective as 
having been a student here, what were the changes that you would have seen from maybe previous times? In my um, situation, I would have come here uh, probably like a lot of students, actually, solely because my mother had come here like 30 years prior. Um, and she told me how great a college was. Like I did arts, uh, it was media and politics I did. So, I mean, it could could be argued that I perhaps would have been better suited to go to UL, but there was no fear of me going there because uh, my mother told me how nice this place was. So I was, that was top of the CAO. Um, I suppose as regards changes, because I have been around here for six years, I think, yeah, about six years now, which is sort of mad. Um, but in that time, at least, like obviously there was one of the biggest changes happened in a long time, which was COVID. Um, and I think that indelibly affected the student experience right across the board. Um, and I remember even noticing it when I came back because I got about two years of college, well, about kind of one and a half maybe-ish. Uh, and then the year I would have been on placement when I got, to, I was supposed to go out to America for a semester. Um, I ended up having to do my placement here in Limerick. But I mean... What's the difference, really? <laughs> um, but when I came back to fourth year, sort of everything, in a sense, had returned. We were back on campus. Most of our lectures were in person and that. Um, but it wasn't the same. And I think there was sort of an assumption that once people come back, uh, everything be back to normal. But I mean, we just spent like the last year and a half terrified of a group of more than two people and like anxious if there was someone you didn't, wasn't was in your close community, was within you know three meters of you. So obviously, I think that anxiety was overhanging there for a long time. I think even just generally socially, I think that's something that remained for quite some time. And I think we're only just now in the past couple of months, finally starting to see a total let's say, forgetting of what that was like. Um, and I think it's nice to see that the student experience is sorting, sort of starting to get back to how it was before. But um, I mean, students are so different than they were when I started. Like, for example, we would come like about 30 euro with me down for, on a Monday night. That would get through all my drinking and most of my food and stuff. <laughs> um, that doesn't. That was only like you know, what, five years ago ish. Like, uh, and that's not the case at all now anymore. And even in other ways, in the ways they socialize. Like when we were younger, or sorry, when we were starting college, we obviously went to all the nightclubs. You're like the loud, big groups of people. But the students who are coming in now, they never had that formative experience in their 16, 17, 18. So it's really interesting. And even the places they socialize and they seem to prefer kind of smaller, quieter setups, sort of like their parents, actually. <laughs> um, so, I mean, that student experience has changed massively in a very short period of time. But we're hoping to, at least if we can't get it back to the way it was, start understanding it so we can, as a, a, or a student's union, we can, you know, deliver to it to the best of our ability. It's really great. And actually what you're doing is I, I, I know that um, you and your recent predecessors have been very concerned about that engagement piece. We aim for a holistic experience here in, in, in this institution. I think all higher education institutions have to have that. And um, we've got to think differently about how we deliver that in, in the future. That might be something we'll return to maybe at the at the end of this. But I want to stick with the theme of change for a, a, a moment as well, because it's been a long journey from 1898, which is um, the founding stone that's on the foundation building. And if you take our Thurless campus, which was a separate institution um, uh, before 2016, that goes back to 1829. Daniel O'Connell was there when the foundation stone was laid in Thurless um, for, for that institution. Brilliant old building in uh, Thurless, brilliant old building here that stands proudly today. And for, a, an, for old buildings, 
Um, some of my colleagues may disagree with this, but they require very little maintenance. They don't make them like they used to. <laughs> um, but having said that, um, after those fantastic buildings were built at the beginning of the 20th century, um, we didn't have very much development in the college. Maura, as you'll know very well, I'm, I'm sure you spend quite a bit of time in prefabs, in fact, teaching. Oh, yeah. Actually, what hits my brain when you say that was that the year I was teaching here, the first year I was teaching, which was whatever, 79, um, the timetable was kind of weird. We were used in UCC or Leicester or whatever, starting on the hour or whatever. So we started here. You start at nine o'clock and then... I think the class ran for maybe 35, 45 minutes. So the next class began at 10 to 10. And then I can't count anymore now, but then you went around and the next class, we'll say, was 25 to 11. Oh, my God. Anyway, what happened was that um, the college was building this building we're in now, which I still call the new building, which dates me immediately, <laughs> yeah. the library building. And um, when it opened, students had classes here. So it took so long for them to get back to the main block for their next class within a five minute climbing over muck and everything else that eventually the college decided this is not working. So we now start classes on the hour. OK, world shattering, but it was the <laughs> strangest kind of thing. Um, yeah, a lot of prefabs after that. Um, they were pleasant. They're a bit cold all right in the winter, but they were very pleasant. They were airy. I'm probably looking back now with, you know, rosy, rosy glasses. Um, natural air conditioning. Very natural <laughs> air conditioning. Very, very, very. Um, the one thing I will say about the college here was because it had begun life and continues as a teacher education college, um, the, um, the equipment was good. So we always had overhead projectors, which are not a thing in the past, I know, and later on computers and whatever. But we also had blackboards that were black. And my memory of being elsewhere on one occasion was the blackboard was kind of a light grey, which was no good for communicating to a class. So even with the prefabs, you know, it wasn't, it was okay. Um, but like when eventually the they built the gym first, which we all, I some of us thought this is crazy. Of course, it wasn't crazy. I mean, there was need for a good gym, but for some of us who were screaming for a library, um, that's you know one of these things that's an unfinished symphony. But certainly the accommodation that came up was amazing. And again, going to other institutions, even more quote unquote prestigious ones, um. I'm in, I was inclined to walk in and think, oh, yeah, the whole thing will be set up. We'll have a computer. We'll have the screen. We'll have the keyboard. And it wasn't necessarily the case. So um, we did pretty well, I think. But uh, and the timetable remained as it, it <laughs> changed to in 1980. So that's really interesting. And in, in funny ways, I can map the. Uh, the growth of the college almost with the appearance of new buildings. There are 20-year phases and a new building might might pop up. Deirdre, you were talking about coming from a rural background into a city-based college, which um, is something we often forget that we are. We're a city-based college. Um, but the other thing about it is that sometimes students are very much swayed in their choice of uh, college by the resources and the infrastructure. We don't have Olympic sized swimming pools and we don't have fancy pitches, those kinds of things. By the time you were coming to college here, um, what did it look like to you and did that factor at all in your decision to come here? Well, it didn't because I, I as I say, I filled out the CEO form wrong. Um, so I, but when I did come, I, I think 
as I came down down and I, I registered and I thought, right, I'll see what happens. But I actually love that it was in the city. I think that was a really big thing for me. Um, and even and in comparison to Dublin, the cost of living, like I was paying something like 35 euros a week for my accommodation. Um, and like it was, you know, it was cheaper here. Um, the city was here. And then like it, it the college has expanded so much, though, you know, it's the the tower building here is fantastic. And I, I think the tower building here, you know, rivals anything that's in a, on any other campus that I've thought of. Yeah. Um, because you've got the different size uh, lecture halls, you've got the smaller rooms uh, and you've got that forum space. I think that's a really brilliant space. But I think that speaks to those notions of of engagement and people mixing together, having a massive space for students just to hang out. That isn't the canteen. So you're not expected to go and buy something and have to sit so you can sit there and chat to your friends and bring your own lunch. And, you know, I think that's a really positive part of it. But the campus does look good, like the maintenance team do a fantastic job of keeping it beautiful like there's always flowers there's, the trees are kept well the grounds are really tidy and clean it's a really welcoming space and I think since they brought down the walls as well I know the walls were really high at the front on the South Circular Road but the walls lowering them I think as a huge you know as a, like that notion of bringing people in um, I think is really important you know they there was work done by um I think Alba Kenny here and with about music and uh, and the you know they were they had that sing out with strings project where they uh, brought uh, instruments to uh, schools in dash areas and they would learn that instrument and then they were brought to the lime tree to perform what they had learned in school and you know it, it, there's so much research about that notion of actually walking into a campus and a place that you don't feel you belong and then having performed here that feeling of oh actually I can go here actually I can and having the campus with the lower walls having places like the lime tree does create that sense that you are more welcome here that it is open to the public because that's another function of education right that it has to it, it can't just be in here and it can't just be academic it has to feed out into the community that it's part of which it does economically and all of those other ways but that public engagement is part of it too I am fascinated that you brought up the wall, actually, because I had a little <laughs> note um, that if I had time, two quick anecdotes about the wall. First of all, in um, back in 1916, there's a famous story that's recounted in the former president's sister Loretta O'Connor's book, Passing the Torch, um, where the founding um, Bishop of Limerick, Bishop Edward T. O'Dwyer, it came to his knowledge that students of the college were um, giving each other a leg up over the wall to talk to people outside of the wall, ostensibly in the outside world. What made this absolutely terrible in his book was that there were soldiers. Um, so from his point of view, it couldn't have been a worse um, scenario <laughs> for the young women of Mary Immaculate College. And he wrote a letter to the president at the time saying, I trust you will take care of this immediately. <laughs> The other the other quick anecdote was I, I have the job of writing the strategic plan for the college. And um, when I wrote the first one that I wrote um, was back in 2008, 2009. And um, I did a consultation exercise with everybody who was a stakeholder, including the staff. And the first piece of feedback that I got back was a one liner, knock the wall. And I'm not sure how many people listening to this podcast will know, but up until comparatively recently, the college, the Limerick campus was completely surrounded by a very high wall. You would have to get a leg up to talk to people <laughs> on the outside. As soon as we knocked the wall, which in 
places was unsafe, so it had to be um, it had to be rectified. Mm -hmm. um, if you looked out of a window, you would see people stopping on the street outside to look in over the wall as they walked their dogs past the um, the college. And I thought that was fantastic. It's mm. exactly what you're talking about, Deirdre, about the public realm yep. service that the college offers. Um, people come in now and yep. walk their dogs, which is is wonderful, and bring their kids in. Yep. It's a space. Yeah. Pitch. Yeah. 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 Killian Morris spoke earlier about unfinished business in terms of the landscape of the college um, here on the Limerick based campus campus. One of the things we've been trying to get for a long time is a new library. We're badly in need of it. Um, from your perspective as a former student and now president of the Students Union, how much of an issue is that for for our students? Do you think they realize what they're missing with a library? At present, that is not fit for purpose. Um, yeah, they do. They do all right, um, and particularly because when I was in first to fourth year, we were able to travel to UL to use the library there. Our cards mm -hmm. got us in. So, uh, particularly around assignment season, you see most of your colleagues and faces you'd know would be you'd be surrounded in UL. In fact, sometimes there'd be rooms in there where you'd go, "God, is there anyone from UL actually in this room?" Um, <laughs> that, so, I'm really looking forward to it. Like my my mother told me when she started college here. They were told uh, by the time they reach fourth year, there'd probably be a new um, library. And she retired there just last December. <laughs> um, so I think it's a long time coming. But um, yeah, I mean, it looks like we're nearly there, touch wood. Um, so I'm really looking forward to it. And particularly having seen what's uh, being presented for it, it looks incredibly exciting. Um, and I think it's really... I guess it's going it's very much 21st century and it's something that i think is going to uh stand to our students in the long run yeah. uh, i think it's quite impressive so pretty excited that's great and, and i hope I, I hope i'm not retired by the time the college um, <laughs> has its new library um, but i will come back for the opening of it if i am in fact um it's interesting you say we need a 21st century library i think we need a 22nd century library yeah. because <laughs> that's how forward um looking um higher education institutions need to be. And I want to come back to the future just at the end, and maybe we'll have a little bit of time just to talk about our aspirations for the future of the, the college. Um, because all of you have um, engaged with the students of the college over the decades in different ways. Uh, maybe starting with you, Deirdre, what have you learned from students, whether they've been your peers or your own students in class? Well, I think it, I think the notion that anything is possible, right? That I think uh, when we were in college, anything could be possible and it was great and it was a really positive time in, in so many ways. But I think of so many of my cohort and my friends who are doing amazing work, like um, Tommy Bulfin, who, you know, was in college here and now is, was one of the producers on like Peaky Blinders and all and, and normal people. And like, I think that's very true. And there's people doing really important work. Um, but I think for my students, I think every day I like I love teaching I absolutely love lecturing and um like I'm I think I'm really lucky with the students we have here I think because we have a kind of uh, engaged cohort and, and and a really interested cohort it's brilliant and I I recently um had the the pleasure of correcting exams and but I I give the students the opportunity in the undergrad to write their own essay titles and, you know, you people can often think, oh, you know, they're not that interested in my books or my lectures are boring, all this. But they wrote the most amazing essay titles mm -hmm. that was just phenomenal. And you were just reading them going, wow. You know, and I think we I think and these are 
kids who have been, you know, like students who have been through COVID, who have been through, and you say like anxiety is through the roof. And like their like their skills and their critical thinking skills and their ability to to do all of this, I thought was really, really impressive uh, in light of all of these different things that are going on. So I think that's one of the things um, I think I've learned. But I also think that notion of if you can't see it, you can't be it is really important too. Um, and I think seeing Mary I change is really important. Um, and seeing the, a, a more diverse campus is really, really important. And I think that is is something you can learn from the students. I think every day you, you pick something new up from them. Um, and I think it's really important to listen and hear what they're saying. Very much so. I would agree with Dan Moore. I presume you would as well. Um, you're, you're, you're saying what I would have said, actually, Deirdre. <laughs> absolutely. I, I suppose the students that I've been with here and elsewhere too, but because here is small, you get to know people better, is that they make you think that, you know, humans aren't that bad after all. You know, really. They're, and I'll just give you two quick anecdotes to explain myself. The first one comes from when we used to go out on teaching practice. Oh, my goodness. Way back. This must be I don't know, 30 years ago for, I've no idea, 30 years ago down in Cork, actually, um, I was in a student class and uh, in the course of the class, one of the young fellows said something which the others all laughed at. And I remember the guy stopping and saying, women or lads, you know, we're all together here. You know what John said? Mm, no, not that, you know, it's not bad. And, you know, we don't talk, treat, you, treat each other like this. And I remember after the class, when you'd have this, as they called it in those days, the layer of ass or the critique and saying to him, you know something, if I had kids, which I didn't at the time, I'd love you to be teaching them. You know, he had it. Yeah. That was one. And the other one, which is much briefer, is looking at um, interviews that students did with the oral history courses that mm. we used to teach. Um, you thought, ah, yeah, you're, you're good human beings. They had a respect. They had a warmness. They had a sense of confidentiality in what they were doing with older people. And I thought, yeah, like you. (laughs) (laughs) That's really interesting, Maura. Since I've come here, I've I've been in two other institutions. But since I've come here, I've always been struck by how our own students have very interesting lives that are often hidden from us Mm. um, because some of our students travel quite a long way to be here. But they go back a lot of the time and they give back to their communities in all sorts of different ways. But they are giving people, I think. Um, I think we're very lucky with the students that that we have. Killian, um, I suppose um, you are probably um, in a position as the president of the Students' Union where you really need to listen to what students need and what students want and what students think. Um, Have you learned anything that you that surprise surprises you um, since you've come into the students union? Um, I suppose it's just sort of the way students function. I don't know if any of you are from a farming background, but if you've ever tried to move a donkey out of a field <laughs> um, and it, it's impossible and students, I think, are sort of like donkeys in that sense, in that like you're not going to change students and I suppose they're at that age of or a period of development where they've just got their taste of freedom and they've you know they've come adults and they're not as easily shaped and there's probably a little bit of a rebellious streak in them still at that age like you're not going to change what the student is and how the student acts and what students do so I think you either meet them where they are or you lose them um, and I think for years right across the country but particularly Mary I I think when it's such a close-knit college this morning I think they were great at understanding the students I think it went both ways um, 
I think we really knew what our students were. And obviously post-COVID, as I mentioned previously, I think we still need to find that again. But again, there's no point trying to say they're like the donkeys. There's no point trying to say this is what students were. I think we need, now need to say sort of this is what students are in 2024. Yeah, it's uh, 2024. Who can believe it? Uh, the 21st century is flying. And uh, we have a few minutes maybe to think about the future here. Um, uh, we've, we've discussed the past and the college has had a rich past and a rich history. Um, but the college will endure into the future and um, it will need to adapt to what's coming and what is already. Um, we live in a very complex society globally and also here in Ireland. So that's one of the immediate challenges. But there are other almost existential challenges that 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 affect us and an institution like ours has a responsibility to grapple with those questions as well. Um, Killian, maybe to start with you, um, a simple question for you. What are your hopes for the college in the future and what do you think it can contribute? Um, maybe I'm aiming the bar a bit low, but I kind of hope the college stays the same. I mean, obviously moves at times, but I think there's something very special that makes Mary Eye what it is. Um, and I mean, if you want to go for university experience, there's university just down the road. Um, but like like I myself, I could have done that in my area, but that's not what I chose direct, specifically not to do that. I come to Mary I because it was an environment where all the lecturers knew me by name and I knew all the lecturers by name and they could stop me in the hall and say, well, that assignment you gave me was great. You let me down in the third paragraph, but the first are great. And they'd know my face and that. And it, it could have been weeks since I did it. Um, somewhere where I can step into a class and like, 80% of the people there know me on a first name basis and I know them. Um, and I think that's something that you're just, I've, I've never heard of another institution in the country like that. So, I mean, obviously I really do hope we move the times, we get modern uh, and improve campus and improve library and all that. But at the same time, my hope for the future would be that we keep the core of what makes Mary I, Mary I, I guess. Maura, you've you've seen a lot of the college's past, but um, you, like many of the people who are part of our retired community, have aspirations for the college as well for the future. I think I think you come to Mary I and you care about it. It's not just a workplace. What are your aspirations for the future? And um, right. Um, two very these are it's quite facetious in a way but it's still true and very different I'm, I'm looking out here as we speak and I'm looking at the trees and I'm saying right new library but please please don't get rid of the trees you know and that's not just you know hug a tree it's that that whole physical thing of the campus within the city the green the dogs coming in with their owners and um, the birds you know I think oh my god please don't get rid of the trees now that's one issue uh, and the other then is very vague but in a way it's coming from what you're saying Killian but I think as an institution and, and, and the people within it is to avoid certainties at all costs because they are certainties are the enemy of, of everything you know so whether it's the old you know traditional thing of you know all oh, the 700 years of oppression or the new one patriarchy or um, misogyny or and you think oh for god's sake nothing is that simple and and even though that sounds a little bit um uh, vague i would hope that when the college engages with its community that it's aware that there there isn't any one answer and uh, you know the the old answer well i'm not quite sure is really the right one i think we're complex uh, there's complexity and we have we have if we're serious and authentic in uh, our self-perception of being a higher learning a place of higher learning we have to um, question um, Deirdre 
um, it, the future of the college concerns you as a member of staff. So um, maybe taking a short term view, a long term view, medium term view. What? How do you see things um, going for the college in the next years and perhaps decades? And what would be your hopes? Um, I think there's a number of challenges right now that all campuses and all colleges are dealing with and, and, and across the countries with like the cost of living crisis. And I think, you know, to go right back to what Catherine McCauley wanted, I think we need to address those challenges um, and think about I'd love I'd love to see the college reopen a kind of a res block again to have student accommodation on campus. I think that would be so fantastic, a great opportunity because there's so many students who, you know, unlike in my day, they, they're commuting, you know, um, and like you'd love to have the, to give them that college experience. So I'd love to see something like that. But we also have to respond to challenges like generative AI and, you know, that kind of loss of faith and expertise that is happening. And I'd love that the college would would engage with those and think about those ideas. And I think both of those are actually interconnected in some way and to see the value and particularly of the arts. I think the like education is so vital and it, it plays a huge role in educating the next generation that we have. But we also need the creative thinkers and those critical thinkers to bring about those changes, to work through things like generative AI, um, which is a huge threat. And, and, and people are putting so much faith into into this, you know, this this particular type of um, software that that is is taking people's material online. It's plagiarizing. It's incorrect. It's all of this and not realizing well, you need the creative skills and the thinkers from the arts to challenge that, to understand it, to develop it and work it better. And also one of the ways we make the world better is through stories. Um, stories are how we bring about change. Um, so any of the recent, um, say, uh, referendum have been have really depended on stories. And, and even how we deal now with maybe the rise of the right, it's the, those stories of people. And we are creating amazing storytellers particularly through our, our arts degree. And they are really important to bring about a much more equal and inclusive future. So I think that's something that we need to make sure that we keep that uh, emphasis on and that support for, because we do have resilient students. I really think that COVID students have are, so, are showing so much resilience and I'd love them to go forward and use the skills that they have to make this a better place. Fantastic. Can I offer you all the chance for a final thought, perhaps, um, whether it's going back to the very beginning or, or, or the journey that we've we've come through? It's 125 years. We're the oldest in the Midwest. It's 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 no small achievement to be around for 125. And let's hope we're around for another 125 at least and start building for that and towards that. So any final thoughts? Don't know if I'll be here in 125. <laughs> <laughs> I certainly won't. <laughs> uh, but I mean, yeah, hopefully um, it's, I mean, it's played such a big part in Limerick, in the city, I think in the development of the city. Um, and it's, I'm sure the city or the college is such a core part of so many people's memories who've grown up here. So, I mean, I'm just hoping that for future generations, they still have that like love and that like admiration for the college. It's always been there. I think I'm repeating Killian, but I think stay human, you know, a small is good. Yeah.
I think I, I love the idea, though, of all of the teachers that have graduated over the 125 years and how many communities they've gone out to. Yes. Can you just see like a map going across yeah. Ireland of all of these teachers? And I think that's really important. And I think from such a small place, right, and, and in the Midwest, I think we've had a huge role and I'd like to see that continue and grow. Well, thank you all very much. I want to say as my final thought that I really appreciate um, talking with you here today. It's been very much like a conversation. And uh, but in the tradition of higher learning, I've learned a lot. I've been listening carefully and uh, it's made me think about a lot of things. So which I'm going to try and put into practice in um, in, in in how we um, work in the college. Well, with that, I'm going to say a huge thank you to our guests. That was Dr. Maura Cronin, who is a former member of the history department here at Mary Immaculate College. Dr. Deirdre Flynn, who is a lecturer in the Faculty of Arts in English here at the college. And our Students' Union president, Killian Callahan. We hope that you like what you've heard. And if you have, you'll be glad to know that there are more podcasts coming your way later in the year. So subscribe now to make sure that you don't miss a thing. I've been Gary O'Brien, and on behalf of myself and our guests, and all here at the Mary Immaculate College podcast team, thank you for listening, and we'll talk to you again soon.